Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. If you're new to Crosswinds, it is really good to have you this morning. Just so you know that for the month of Christmas, or for the month of December, we've taken a little break from our regular preaching series, and we're doing a uh, small study here in the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, we're looking at sort of snapshots of Jesus Christ from this book. And the, the goal is that we would see Jesus Christ better, we would know him more, and love him more richly. Now, in a sentence, the entire book of Hebrews can be summarized this way. Jesus is greater. That's it. It's the whole thing. Jesus is greater than anything God did in the past, and Jesus is so great that there is nothing greater that God can do for us other than what he has already done for us through Jesus Christ. That is how great Jesus Christ is. That is why we worship him. That is why we celebrate his birth. Now, in the messages of this series, we've been unpacking this theme of the greatness of Jesus because the book sort of looks at how Jesus is greater in a variety of different ways. You remember, after I introduced that big theme, uh, Pastor Jordan came up and brought us to Hebrews chapter 2, which showed us that Jesus is a greater Savior than has ever been introduced before. And then last week, we saw Pastor Chris Snyder. He brought us to Hebrews chapter 4 and 5, how Jesus is a greater high priest, greater than any of the high priests that were in the Old Testament before. Pastor Chris Rasmussen, in the week between Christmas and New Year's, he will go to Hebrews chapter 8, where he will teach us how Jesus gives us a new covenant, a covenant that is better than the old covenant which was given before. This morning, I have the privilege of taking us to Hebrews chapter 10, where we're going to see that Jesus is a greater sacrifice. He is a greater sacrifice for sin than all the Old Testament sacrifices for sin that were ever offered. So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be reading the first 18 verses together in a few moments. I don't care if you're using a paper Bible, if you're using an electronic Bible, that's fine. You can turn there. While you are turning in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, let me just take a few moments to just mentally transport you back a few thousand years into the Old Testament and introduce to you what what the sacrificial system was like in that day. When people sinned, they would ultimately place their hands on the head of an animal and they would confess their sin onto that animal, and that animal would then die. It would die in their place, so to speak, vicariously for their sin. That animal died as a substitute for them. And because there's lots of sin in people's lives, there was lots of animals that were dying. In the temple, it was all the way from dawn to dusk that animals were were dying. Their throats were being slit to cover the sins of the people. To give you an idea about how many animals died, let me just bring you to Passover around the time of Jesus. 
those who study these things tell us that there was approximately 300,000 lambs that died in the week of Passover alone. That's a lot of sin. That's a lot of death. In the temple, uh, under the altar, uh, it sort of had a drain, and the drain went out the back side of the temple. And go ahead, Jeremy, and put that up there. And the drain would then flow down the Kidron Valley, and it would end up into a brook, the Kidron Brook. And it was said that during the time of Passover, that brook was solid blood red for an entire week straight because of so much blood from animals flowing into it. It's also said, and I don't know if this is true or not, but they, they say that sometimes the priest would actually stop up that drain and the blood would overflow from the altar and would actually cover the floor of the temple. And the priest would walk through the temple in ankle-deep blood, blood that was all there to cover people's sins. Now, I don't know if that is necessarily true. That was Jewish tradition that they would block up the, the, the drain in the temple. But I do know that hundreds of thousands of lambs died in an attempt to cover people's sin. While the death of animals to cover sin was something that God had commanded, as we're going to see this morning, animal sacrifice had some major deficiencies in it things it could not do, problems that were not resolved that ultimately Christ came to fix. So hopefully you found Hebrews chapter 10. Why don't you stand out of reverence for the word of God and I ask that you would follow along with your eyes in your copy of God's word as I read these first 18 verses. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. 
waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That ends the reading of the word of God. You may be seated. These verses break apart into two broad groupings. The first four verses describe the deficiencies of the Old Testament sacrificial sins system. The next 14 verses describe the greatness of the sacrifice of Christ and why he alone is the final solution to the huge problem of sin that each one of us faces. So if you have your outlines, let's dive into our study. We have a number of verses to cover, so I'm going to try to keep moving fast. Number one, why was the Old Testament sacrificial system insufficient to handle the problem of sin? And the first thing we see is this. It was only a picture and couldn't bring access to God. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So the writer of Hebrews here begins by talking about the law. And when he talks about the law, he is actually talking about the ceremonial law. He's talking about the sacrifices, the holidays, the feasts, those things that are all specified in the Old Testament. He says they are just a shadow of what is to come. The word here for shadow literally means a fuzzy shadow, not even a distinct shadow. You can think of it this way. Maybe in the early morning or early evening hours, if you're in a place where there's buildings, you can see on the wall someone's shadow as they walk by. That shadow gives them the outline of the person, but it gives none of the real details about that person. Uh, That shadow is definitely a far cry from the reality of that person. And he says here, the entire Old Testament sacrificial system was just a shadow. It's not the reality of what God wanted. And here's what the shadow outlines and pictures. When it comes to handling sin, the only way to handle sin was by the death of a substitute in your place for your sin. That substitute had to be pure. That substitute had to be spotless. That is the Old Testament shadow. It's all pointing forward to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate pure and spotless lamb who dies in our place for our sin. I mean, think of it. Could the blood of just an animal actually pay for any of our sins against an eternal God who created everything? How could the blood of an animal literally pay for that? 
It wouldn't. But Jesus' blood would be sufficient to pay for our sins. This is why John the Baptist says this when he sees Jesus approaching him in the beginning of the Gospel of John. Behold, who is Jesus? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now if animal sacrifices could take away sin, you'd find people lined up outside of slaughterhouses today. And they'd be confessing their sins onto cows. They'd be confessing their sins onto sheep who would then be slaughtered. But animals don't take away sin. It just pictures the fact that it's by the death of a pure and spotless substitute that sin will be taken away. Paul says the exact same thing, by the way, that the Old Testament is just a shadow and that Jesus is the reality. Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Maybe a way to think of it is this. When Cindy and I began dating, we got to that point where I eventually asked her for her picture, and she gave me one. I knew I was in big league because I had a picture. Now, for everyone who's young, you have to understand I'm old. This is before there was Instagram to find the girl's picture. This is before Facebook existed. In fact, we met even before the internet was a reality. That's way back, guys. But I was thrilled because she gave me a picture. And you know, I had that picture on my desk when I studied, and I have to admit, it was a little bit of a studying distraction because as I would take these study breaks, I would just look at the picture, and I'd sort of dream about Cindy in the picture, and I'm like, this is great, you know. God, how could you be so good to have allowed me to be able to be dating right now this godly woman and this beautiful woman? But as things would have it, the relationship moved forward, and eventually came the wedding day, and we were married. Now, I didn't throw away her pictures, but I, I, I kept that picture, but I didn't treat it the same way. I mean, you didn't find me in the living room staring at that picture going, oh man, I'm so thankful I have this woman. When in reality, she's sitting right next to me, right? That picture is just a shadow. It's just a sort of a, a, describes her, but it certainly isn't her. The reality of my wife is much better than the picture of my wife. And that's the same thing when it comes to the Old Testament sacrificial system. It was a living picture, all pointing forward to the reality of Jesus and what Jesus had come to do for us. Now, not only, um, oops, excuse me there. Not only was the system a, a picture, to prove his point that it was just a picture and not an efficient way of dealing with sin, what the writer of Hebrews says is, you notice that after anyone sacrificed an animal for their sin, they still were not perfect. They still didn't have access to God. Nobody sacrificed an animal, had their sin atoned for, and then walked into the Holy of Holies with God's presence. Why couldn't they do that? Because the death of an animal only pictured 
the covering of sin by blood. It didn't actually cover their sin by blood. Only Jesus would do that. So, uh, the Old Testament sacrificial system was just a picture, and it was also deficient because it never actually allowed people into God's presence. The second thing we see that was uh, deficient about this is it couldn't remove the guilt of sin. It says in verse 2, Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. So the worshipers, they would offer their animal sacrifice. And here's the problem. They still felt guilty for what they did. They were still filled with the consciousness of their sin. They knew that animal's death wasn't sufficient to cover those things. Let me just sort of go into the realm of your imagination and your memories. Have you ever had that time where you've sinned big time? Where you've totally blown it? You're filled with guilt and shame and you don't even want to ever be around people? And then in those moments you've gotten on your knees and you've called out to God in prayer and you've asked Jesus to forgive your sin and you've confessed in desperation your sin to him and after you finish praying you can literally almost feel the weight of that guilt the weight of that shame lifted off your shoulders anybody ever experienced that I certainly have realize that never happened in the Old Testament because the death of an animal could not atone for sin. Look what it says in Hebrews 9, verse 9. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices that are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They were still filled with guilt, and they were still filled with shame. And it continues in verses 3 through 4. But in these sacrifices, there is just a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what happened is when people sinned and they had to go sacrifice an animal, then they sinned again and they had to go sacrifice another animal. And they sinned again and had to sacrifice another animal. And all this was was a continual reminder of sins. Literally, at this particular point, he's referring to the Day of Atonement, which was serving as an annual reminder of the sinfulness of the people. So all the animals did was, so to speak, cover their sin. It never forgave their sin. One way to think about this is maybe the way medicine works in the medical community. Uh, some of you know that... Um, my wife, she has an autoimmune disease, but she also has arthritis in her hands. And we went to the doctor about that because it's painful for her to grip things. And the doctor just said, I just want you to know there's nothing we can do to cure that arthritis. But we do have some medicines that will help take away the pain. We can't cure it, but we can cover it. And so in the morning, Cindy takes this cream with all this fancy Dr. Garbly Gook written on it, and she puts it on her hands, and she says, you know, I can grab things, and I'm not in pain when I hold things. In fact, some days I feel really good, and then I forget to put it on one morning, and I'm quickly reminded that I have never been cured of my disease. 
All I'm doing is covering my disease, temporarily covering it. That's the same way it worked with the Old Testament sacrificial system. People offered an animal in their place to cover their sin, and they felt maybe temporarily for a little bit good or, or right about it, but it never cured the pain of their sin. It never cured the guilt of their sin. They constantly had that lingering problem of their sin. So we've seen this whole entire Old Testament sacrificial system, while it was instituted by God, it's massively deficient. It was just intended to be a picture. It's not the reality. (laughs) All it did was leave people feeling guilty because they constantly had to sacrifice sin, sacrifice animals more and more. Not only that, but they never were completely purified because they could never go into God's presence, even after sacrificing an animal. And along comes Jesus. And he offers a whole different way of dealing with sin. Why is Jesus' sacrifice of himself to handle the problem of sin so much greater? First point. Number one, it was always God's plan for Jesus to be the solution to the problem of sin. I'll read the verses. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. And these are very exciting verses. At least they're exciting to me, and once I explain the background of them, I'm sure they'll be very exciting to you. They come from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And these are not just the words of the psalmist, but the writer of Hebrews tells us that these are actually the words of Jesus speaking to God the Father as he was on the edge of heaven before he chose to take on a body in the womb of Mary where he would become the sacrifice for our sin. So we are eavesdropping into a conversation that took place between two members of the Trinity, God the Son and God the Father. And the first thing we learn here is this. Sacrifices and offerings God the Father did not desire. Burnt offerings and sin offerings, in those things he took no pleasure. God the Father created the Old Testament sacrificial system. But you need to understand, he did not delight in it. In other words, that means that was never in his mind to be the final solution to the problem of sin. It was just a warm-up act, if you want to call it that. It was just the picture pointing forward to what God came, God sent Jesus to do. Now, how does this work? Think about maybe the Old Testament. Think about the Passover, which is one of the main things we're dealing with in this area here. The Passover originally was when God's people were in bondage in Egypt, and there had been a number of plagues that God had done through the hands of Moses onto the, the Egyptians. And it, the final plague was the angel of death. And they were told to take a pure and spotless lamb and sacrifice it and put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And then the angel of death would pass over their house. 
And the firstborn of the Egyptians died, but none of the firstborn of the Israelites died because of the blood of that perfect lamb that was slain. And they were intended uh, to continually offer that as a, as a holiday every year to have the Passover, and they were to sacrifice lambs. But remember, this, these lambs were just a picture pointing forward. So I believe it's the Gospel of John that says to us that Jesus, when he died, he died at the same time the very Passover lambs were slain. They were all pointing to him. And anyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in his death in our place for our sin, death passes over us. Now that doesn't mean that we will never die in this life, but eternal death, eternal punishment passes over us. We are, in our death, we are brought home to be with God in heaven not be separated from God ultimately in hell. So we see that God the Father did not desire in these Old Testament sacrificial system. He planned them, but he planned them as a temporary picture. But what did God desire? A body you have prepared for me. Incidentally, this is proof positive that Jesus was born of a virgin. He didn't have a human father, did he? Who prepared the body in the womb of Mary? God the Father prepared his body in the womb of Mary. So the idea that Jesus would come to die in our place, it's been God's plan all the way from the beginning. In fact, we find that in, in a little bit later. It was written about me, he says, in the scroll of the book. In the Old Testament, either by direct prophecy or by types, or by all kinds of predictions. God has been saying all along that his son, Jesus, would come. The Old Testament sacrificial system pictured what he came to do. Prophecies told what he came to do. And it's always been Jesus' plan for Jesus, it's always been God's plan, excuse me, for Jesus to be the final solution for sin. <clears throat> Number two. Jesus' death for our sin is so great, it doesn't add to the Old Testament sacrificial system. It completely replaces it. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the seconds. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus' death for our sin is so great that it completely abolishes the whole Old Testament sacrificial system that had been in place for thousands of years. The writer of Hebrews' point is that Jesus' death for our sins is so great you can't bolt it onto the old you have to completely replace it with what is new. Maybe a good way to think of it this way is to think of what it's like when you uh, have to get a new house. Some of you know that if you go up the, from the church here on 20th Street, there was a house that had that caution tape around it. Remember that? And eventually excavators showed up 
in a big dumpster and they tore apart that house and they put that old house into the dumpster and right now it's just a big hole in a pit. You know, I know why they did that. You know why? Because you can't put a new house on top of an old house. It doesn't work. Imagine what it would be like trying to put a new house bolted on top of an old house that was deficient, an old house that was defective, a house that was condemned. You couldn't do that. You clear off the old house and you put in the new house. And that's the way it is with the Old Testament sacrificial system. It was defective. It couldn't actually bring anyone to God. It was just intended to be a picture. People were left with guilt and shame. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus' sacrifice for sin is so great, we take away the whole Old Testament system because it's all pointing to him and it's all fulfilled by him. Number three, Jesus' death for our sin makes us pure before God once for all. No other sacrifice for sin needs to be made. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus. It says, once for all. Now, what's important to understand here is the word sanctified. The word sanctified means to make holy, to make perfect, to take away our sin so we can be in a right relationship with God. It essentially means so we could be able to walk into the very holy of holies ourselves and talk to God directly. And here's what it says. The death of Jesus Christ, by his death, we have been sanctified. Not will be sanctified. The tense is very important here. Anyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus' death for our sin, we have been made holy. We are in a permanent, continual state of having been forgiven. Not will be forgiven, but have been forgiven. No more sacrifices for sin need to be made whatsoever. Jesus didn't come to cover sin like they did in the Old Testament. Jesus came to completely pay for all of our sin for all time. So we could always directly approach God. You and I, we sin each week. We wonder, if I've sinned, you know, how is my relationship with God? Will I still be able to talk to Him? Will I still be able to approach Him? And the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus' sacrifice for your sin is my sin is so right, great. We have been made holy once and for all, no matter how we fail, no matter how we sin. Jesus has paid for it all. That, my friends, is huge. How much better could it get? How could God improve on what he has done for us through Jesus Christ? He cannot. I mean, that gives you something to celebrate at Christmas, doesn't it? Why did Jesus come? To take away all of my sin once and for all. You and I don't die in fear, wondering if we'll be able to see God because we messed up at the last minute. No. 
we die with confidence that no matter if we mess up, Jesus has already paid it all for us. That, my friends, is good news. Number four, Jesus' death for our sin removes the guilt of our sin forever. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now these two verses are contrasting the Old Testament sacrificial system with what Jesus has done for us to take care of sin. In the Old Testament, the priests never sat down. Their work was never done. They were constantly making sacrifices for sin from the morning to the evening. But Jesus offered the sacrifice of himself for all of our sin at forever at one time. In fact, Jesus, it says, has now sat down at the right hand of God the Father. You see, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the one thing the temple didn't have was a chair because the priests were never done. Jesus has sat down. His work is completely done. He has completely covered all of our sin for all time, but nothing more than our simple faith and simple trust in him. Folks, how much better could it get? How much more could God improve upon this? Simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ? All of your sin and my sin for all time? I mean, which system would you rather be under? The old covenant? Sacrificing animals continually that were just a picture? Or the new covenant? Jesus has done it all. All I can do is receive it by faith. Something else the new covenant has done. Jesus' death for sin destroyed the enemy. It says he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. You see, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, none of those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices, did anything to even dent Satan. Didn't even necessarily insult the demons. Jesus comes along, and by his death and his subsequent resurrection, He destroys Satan. He completely disarms the demons and leaves them powerless. Look what it says in Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them into open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has disarmed all of the demonic fallen powers. Hebrews chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has destroyed the power of the devil. Think of it this way. In my mind, I envision that when Jesus took on flesh in the womb of Mary, that Satan began celebrating because he thought he finally had Jesus with a fatal weakness because human beings can die. And if Satan can just get Jesus to die, he can kill 
God. He will be the ultimate winner. So Satan worked and he schemed. So ultimately, Jesus went to the cross and Jesus died. But Jesus' death wasn't Satan's victory. It was Satan's final defeat. Because Jesus went into death and burst out the other side, rising to new life, making Satan's greatest weapon, which is death, completely impotent in the face of Jesus. That's the new covenant. Boy, isn't it amazingly good? It says this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood this. If they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. They knew he was just going to burst forth and be the victor. They would have never killed him in the first place. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. This reminds me of a story. It's a story of a guy's name is Haru Onado. Go ahead and put his picture up there. Maybe you've heard of Haru's story. It's a true story. And he was a Japanese soldier who, along with uh, three others, actually occupied an island in the Philippines. And when the war was over in 1945 and the Allies dropped pamphlets saying that the war was over and Japan had surrendered, he didn't believe it. He thought it was all just Allied propaganda trying to get him to surrender. For the next 29 years, he tried to defend that small island in the Philippines. He only surrendered when actually his original commanding officer was flown in to him and told him, by the way, the war has been over like for 29 years. You can give it up, buddy. And then he finally did. Isn't that a good picture of the reality of what Jesus has done for us? The war is over. The victory has been won. Jesus has officially defeated Satan, sin, and death. Right now, it's a matter of mopping up the enemy over time. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father until all of his enemies have officially been made footstools for his feet. That's what Jesus did when he established the new covenant. There was, wasn't even a dent in Satan under the old covenant. Point six. Jesus' death for our sin doesn't just perfect us before God forever. This is really cool. It perfects us now. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He goes back to what he's already talked about. By a single offering, he's perfected for all time. That's us. We've trusted in Jesus Christ forever before God. We are completely forgiven of sin. But what is happening now? He's perfecting for all time those who are being sanctified, made holy and pure. Folks, if you're struggling with an issue of sin today, I can tell you the issue you're struggling with with sin, the answer is not to try harder to beat it. That's not the way you beat sin. The answer is to enjoy Jesus more. It's not try harder. It's enjoy Jesus more. 
the more we enjoy the fact that we have already been completely forgiven for all of our sin by Christ, the more His holiness begins to loosen the grip of sin in our life, and the more we start to become like Him, and we become holy and we become pure. It is enjoying Jesus that frees us from the grip of sin. Let me quickly go to the last point. Jesus' death for our sin fulfills the promise of the new covenant. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. I'm not going to spend much time uh, detailing the new covenant because that'll be Pastor Chris's job in the week between Christmas and New Year's. But I will say this. The writer of Hebrews goes to Jeremiah 31 where God says there's coming a time where I'm going to abolish the old covenant system and I'm going to create a new covenant. The laws in this new covenant will not be written on tablets of stone like the Ten Commandments were in the Old Testament. They'll be written on the hearts of men because the Holy Spirit will dwell inside of us, giving us directions about what is right and what is wrong. Not only that, but when the new covenant is inaugurated, you'll recognize it because it'll be a time where he will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where sin will not be the problem because Jesus has been the final solution. That is what we look forward to. That is what we enjoy. Christmas it is a wonderful time to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, who changed it all. Because when Jesus was first born, everyone was under the old covenant, which was the death of animals, which didn't do any good. It was just a picture of the covering of sin. People were still guilty of sin. People were still struggling with their consciences being plagued by sin. But then Jesus came. And what he did is he was the final solution to the problem of sin, the perfect sacrifice for sin. He replaced the entire Old Testament sacrifice system by the, the sacrifice of himself as he died to cover all sin for all time for every single one who would simply place their faith and trust in him. He disarmed the demons. He conquered Satan. He defeated death. And Jesus has created such a better sacrifice for sin than anyone in the Old Testament could ever enjoy. This Christmas, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, remember, we don't sacrifice animals. We celebrate the gift of him and the full forgiveness that he has extended to us forever. Jesus, we thank you so much for being so gracious. Heavenly Father, thank you for having a plan that was from the fullness of time, that you would abolish the Old Testament sacrificial system that was just a picture and was never effective, and that you would send your Son to completely take care of all of our sin in our life. No matter how we have failed you, 
no matter how many times we repeatedly fail you, our sin is fully paid for by you, Jesus. And when we live, we live with confidence that we're forgiven. When we die, we die with confidence that we're forgiven. And that when we close our eyes in this life, we know for sure that we will open our eyes to see you in the next life. Not because of any good thing in us, but because of the complete forgiveness from you. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.